0: thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that today and every day, and even when we forget it, that we would be reminded of this. We pray that we were like this tax collector, that we would be humble. And may we not be like this one Pharisee here who actually puts himself over against his brothers and sisters and says that he is better than others. But, Lord, may we see why, and may we see you. And all this we ask in his name. Amen. Amen. So it is Be Nice to Church History Month, church historians. It's the day 499 years ago where Luther nailed something to a church and provided me a career. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It just is that way. Thank you, Luther. Um, But let's not talk about old dead people. Let's talk about Jesus. This parable, this story, is one of the unique ones in Luke. It actually comes with an opening tag to tell you what the point is. At times, the, the parable just sits there for your pondering. At times, it's told, and then the disciples ask, huh? And then Jesus explains it. And this is one of those where he actually opens with the why before he gets into the the parable. It's relatively straightforward. But to begin with, just share a bit of a story for myself, because I think the problem with this parable is that it's too easily checked off the box, meaning it's too easily understood that, well, of course I'm not the haughty person. Of course that's not me. I'm not maybe as bad as the tax collector, but... I'm certainly not ever praying that I thank God I'm, like, I'm not like that person. When I was new to the faith, about three months in, I was asked to give my testimony. Uh, even back then, I was a nerd, and so I decided instead of giving my testimony, I was going to turn it into a talk, I guess. I, I was 17. I had no idea what I was doing. I never even knew what the Bible said about things, but I was going to give a big talk on something important in this world. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember the talk was awful. Uh, I think I grieved the Holy Spirit uh, in the talk, um, put it that way. It was just really awful. It's just immediately I was just, I think I opened with a joke and no one laughed. Uh, I think I went to something poignant and no one even said, hmm, or you know nothing like this. One, I was preaching to Presbyterians and they don't really participate that much. Uh, I have I spoke twice this past week at Shiloh downtown and they are very helpful to their speakers, by the way. Um, but it's okay. Yeah, amen. Thank you. But in this case, I wasn't getting any feedback. I had no idea if I was doing all right, and it just didn't go well. Uh, And my youth pastor came up to me, and he had this very simple way of of putting a a thought in my head that I could then ponder. And he just said, Ryan, sometimes people pursue their righteousness with the same earnestness that they they had pursued their unrighteousness. And I don't think I had any idea what he was talking about then, and I think as my years get longer, I'm beginning to see what he meant. But what's going on in this passage is not the simple reality that you have somebody who's a jerk and you have somebody who's humble. I think most human cultures would be fine with saying that the merely haughty, arrogant person is annoying. I can't think as an historian if any culture throughout time and space that I've ever looked at or studied where the haughty person is actually loved in this sense, So, if that's the case, that you just don't be arrogant and don't be snooty, Jesus wouldn't have had to tell a parable about this. Because that's a given. What Jesus is telling a parable about then is something different. It's not merely don't be cocky, don't be arrogant, don't be haughty, it's something deeper. And I think that's why there is this opening clause at the beginning, which says it's about those who are trusting in themselves for their righteousness. You then are led into this story, and you hear this prayer. It seems to be the prayer of the heart of the Pharisee. It's, of course, parabolic, so it's just this, this, it's not a formal prayer as if Jewish people prayed this all the time. Rather, it's this one man who seems to say this, and what he ends up saying are actually a series of good things. He's saying that he's doing his best to keep the law. He's actually saying, you might say in modern English, Lord, I thank God that I'm doing my best, I'm trying hard, and I love you, and this is evidence that I love you. In other words, he doesn't think that what he's doing has any haughty or, he doesn't necessarily even think that he's looking down on the tax collector at this point. Necessarily. He doesn't think that he is. What Jesus is, of course, saying is he is. If you wanted a modern phrase that we we sometimes use a lot, that we should stop, frankly, based off of this parable, a modern phrase would be, but for the grace of God, that's where I would be. That's all this man has simply prayed. You and I maybe have said that over time. You see someone in trial, you see someone who's ruined their life, and you would say, oh, but for the grace of God, there go I. What are we actually saying in a phrase like that? I thank God I'm not like that person. And what we're doing is we're attributing our own arrogance and the way we're setting ourselves apart as more righteous to God's grace rather than realizing that this is the image of God and there's something there. It is certainly true that but for the grace of God you'd be there. The important thing is why are you saying it that way? You're saying it that way because you're thanking God you're not like them. So what this Pharisee is actually doing is holding up a series of things that he thanks God he has. In other words, he's attributing grace to his own cocky self-righteousness. And that is the subtle lie. Because, again, it's one thing to say, "Ah, I'm so much better than everybody else in a room, or I'm so much better than these people. No one would doubt that that's a problem. The challenge is when you say, God has blessed me so much, uh, so much grace in my life. I, 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 I'm not a Baptist, I'm not a charismatic, I'm a Presbyterian, I get to be these things. Or I have a wonderful family, I didn't lose my marriage like those sad people down the, down the street. Thank God for all those things. What are you really actually communicating when you say something like that or something like that is running through your mind? You're coding your own self-righteousness You're giving yourself at least half or most of the credit and calling it grace. Because when you say, but for the grace of God, there go I, what you really mean is, I didn't go there, and thank God for that. You're not actually thinking about grace. Which is the point of this parable. Because when Jesus talks about the tax collector, of course, by now you've picked up on the fact in the Gospels that a tax collector is a spineless person by Jewish standards. They've cavorted with the enemy, the occupiers, the Romans, those pagans who were taking over Israel, who the prophets said ought to be thrown out. Imagine that. I mean, this is is like cavorting with the enemy in any context. This is like helping Soviet Russia in the 80s. This is the worst possible thing, this tax collector. He knows that he's evil. So what comes out of his heart is not any self-righteousness. He can't even look up to heaven, it says, which is a Jewish posture of prayer. We're used to bowing our head and closing our eyes. A Jew would open his eyes and look up. So he can't even, you might say, bow his head and close his eyes in prayer. That's how guilty he feels. The important thing, though, about the sinner is that he actually knows where grace is. And he's looking for it. Meaning he has a sense that he knows exactly how awful he is. And by again, by a Jewish standard in the first century, this is about as bad as it gets. And he knows he's a sinner. The important thing, though, is that he knows where grace could be found. And he's there looking for it, even in the midst of his own shame. You see, I have a bit of a problem in the modern world with how much we seem to talk frequently of sin, but really it's more like bragging. And this is very much true in a reformed world where we say, ah, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And there's not necessarily a great deal of compunction or conviction about that comment. It seems more to be if I keep saying I'm a sinner, it might be okay that I keep going on with sin. It's sort of the inverse of the frozen chosen problem. We become those who say, well, I'm a sinner. Might as well go on doing whatever I want to whomever I want and being all kinds of rude and unchanged and uh, destroying lives and friendships and marriages and these types of things because of my attitude. I'm a sinner. You're seeing a lot of this actually in our culture where people are saying sin, 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 grace, 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 but they actually don't seem to be pursuing either in this way. You see, the Pharisee is saying grace, 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 but he's just wrapped it in his own self-righteousness in this idea of grace. That really, it's grace that I'm this good. The sinner is saying, I'm a sinner, woe is me, but he's not doing it in a way that's just kind of like, look, I'm a sinner, I don't know what else to do. He's actually there seeking something else. He's seeking God. He actually wants change. He isn't using the word sin as an opportunity just to remain exactly who he is. So what does this mean? How is this applied? Well, I think there's two ways. First, be careful not with the things you know you're ashamed of. Be careful with the things you're confident in. Be careful with the things you're proud of. Now, notice I didn't say be ashamed of them. I said be careful of them. But some of you are amazingly great parents, or very uh, thoughtful, you've learned uh, how to communicate a lot better than you did before in your marriage. You're very proud of that. By the way, those of you who are married, you've been married maybe eight or nine years, you ever look at a newlywed couple and just laugh a few times? Like, oh, look at them, they're fighting over the dishes, that's cute, that's so, so, that's so cute. Oh, that's right, you're not talking to me, um, you know, it's kind of a thing. This idea that, you know, you look upon others. You might be proud of how, how your marriage is come. You might be proud of how you've raised your kids. You might be proud of the success you've had in life. You might be proud of your understanding of the scriptures or the fact that you go to a school of discipleship every week when it's offered. These are things you ought to be proud of, by the way. No one says you ought to be ashamed that you're working really hard to raise great kids. The important thing of this parable is how are you owning that? Because an understanding of grace says, I really am a sinner. I really am a tax collector in the making. But what I did was I sought God and he blessed me. Notice the difference between, thank you for blessing me, God, with all these things. I don't deserve them. Notice the difference between that language and, I thank God I'm not like that person. The difference is simply how you're arranging your relationships. The first set of prayer there that I'm mentioning is, thank God that you have done this in my life, that you have given me this blessing. I didn't deserve this. That is the same tone of voice as the tax collector. In other words, don't compare yourself to someone else's struggle, ever. Because the reality is, is those struggles are present in you, They're, they're present in everybody, it's just maybe they haven't been actualized. Maybe you have a blessing. Maybe there, uh, maybe there are all kinds of opportunities that things could have gone awry. But the thing you don't do is compare. Because there is no comparison when it comes to sinners like you and me. We're all the same in that way. So what you do give thanks for is that God has blessed us, that he has given us things, and you don't take them for granted, and you don't hold them as evidences of your own success and your self-righteousness, as if he gave them to you because you're a little bit better than your neighbor. Rather, he gave them to you because he loves you. He blessed you because he loves you. So when you own that reality, that you're deeply sinful but you're deeply loved, then the reality of thanking for blessing is sounds somewhat like the same prayer, but it's not like this. It's not like the Pharisee, where you're actually just comparing yourself. Because, this is a John Calvin quote, uh, anytime you compare across the the aisle, anytime you look across at neighbors, you're going to eventually find somebody who has a little bit worse than you. Or at least is struggling in this area where you're not. You can always find a comparison that makes you feel better. But when you look up to heaven and you look up to Christ, and you see what actual full righteousness is, you have nothing to compare yourself with. Therefore, all you have is thanksgiving and praise. So that's one. Be careful with the things that you love and that you cherish. You know your own foibles, but be careful with the things you're proud of. Give thanks for them rather than give thanks that you're not like someone. The other one, and it's a little bit bit more challenging, a little bit more deeper, it's the tax collector. If you're somebody who's struggling with real deep sin, if you have anger issues and you can't set them aside, if you have impatience problems, if you're having all types of issues, just go down the Ten Commandments that we preached through, was it about a year or so ago? Let's go through all those again. If you're having any of those issues, and you have to be if you're in this room, how do you deal with that? You deal with it like the tax collector, which is you not to simply say, uh, 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 in the sense of throwing up your hands, I'm going to be a sinner forever, so I might as well just kind of give up and wait for death or something like this, but rather say, Lord, how can I find change? You all want it. We all want it. How are you going to find it, though? You're not going to find it by simply saying, I'm a sinner, oh, well but rather like the tax collector, standing in the temple, standing in worship, saying, Lord, I don't deserve to be here. Help me. I don't deserve this, but will you bless me? It's the cry of the heart of, I, try, I want to trust you and I love you. Will you bless me and love me back? And what Jesus says is that posture of a sinner actually means they go away justified because they are seeking an answer in the place where they ought to be seeking it, not simply freezing themselves up and saying, well, I'm always going to be angry, I'm just a sinner, that'll never change, or I'm always going to be like this, it'll never change. So actually, believe it or not, both of those applications are the same, and that's the point of the parable. For the person who thinks that they are being blessed it's humble yourself and realize you're a sinner. For those who are struggling with any number of sins, it's realize you're a sinner and ask for God to bless you and to give you grace. That the root of both of these problems, of both the self-righteous person and the tax collector, is that they have to know their posture before the Lord, and then they have to know where to come for change. And where they come for change is with the Lord himself. They don't sit back and compare themselves to one another. The tax collector has every reason to believe that he doesn't even belong in that room, but he's there. The Pharisee ought to believe that he has no right to be in that room, but he ought to wake up and realize that it's a blessing, that he's there. That puts every single one of us, in other words, on the exact same footing. Those of us who are struggling and those of us who are confident. Those of us who feel uh, glass half full and those of us who feel glass half empty this morning. Every single one of us needs the exact same application of the exact same medicine, which is Jesus is the one who kept covenant, not you, not me. He kept the law. He is the master. Therefore, come to him with the challenge. Come to him with the thanksgiving for those things you're proud of. But above all, realize that you and I are the same sinner as anybody else. And therefore, only Jesus, only Christ, is the one who gets the right to justify, the right to give us those blessings. And he will. Fundamentally, it comes down to trust, though. If you're you're one of the people who struggles with being proud, do you trust Jesus with your weakness? Because you have it, you're just hiding it. If you're one of the people that's wrestling with deep, abiding, seemingly never-ending sin, do you trust him to bless you do you trust him to open up about this and seek the help the pastoral nourishment the elders whomever that can help you walk through that do you trust him if the answer is yes there is an abounding measure of grace for you and for me and for all who struggle with sin or with self-righteousness or any of these things but the beginning point is that you're a sinner start there But sinners are people that know they need to do something about it, so let's do something about it and let's come to Christ and let him work grace into us so that we will be disciples. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we come now to the table, there is no better uh, example of we come with empty hands and you put bread, living bread, into our mouths, into our hands that we come thirsty and you give us drink. Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are struggling with self-righteousness and a sense of pride, may they be humbled and just simply give thanks, still proud of the things that you've given them, but nevertheless understanding that they come from you. For those who are struggling with doubt, with cynicism, with sin, with any number of things, may they actually open their eyes and look to heaven for you. And may they go away justified and knowing that they are covered and that they are children of the King today. Above all, Lord, give us grace, give us wisdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.